0: Ephesians chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there. We're continuing our study on spiritual warfare. We've, we've seen in Ephesians 6 that it's a, Paul is calling us to arms. He's, he's calling us to the awareness that we're involved in a spiritual battle. And at the very core of the spiritual battle, what is at stake at the very core of spiritual battle is, listen to this, your spiritual well-being. Think about that. It's not about your prosperity. It's not about your wealth. It's not about health. It's not about your attainment and ease of life. It's about your spiritual well-being. Our adversary is willing to give up things in order to distract you from who God is and what God intends to do in your life. And the spiritual battle is, is very, at the very core of it, is your relationship with God. Our adversary is more than willing to do whatever it takes in his schemes, and his methods, to distract and to create for you a distraction in relationship with God. Ephesians 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, what, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and our adversary wants you not to know that he wants you to believe that not believe that he wants you to doubt that and many times he uses many different things to begin to to create doubt and distract remember and i've said it every week and i'll say it probably every week through this series that his who who got who satan uh deceives he destroys who he hasn't destroyed, he tries to deceive. It's one or the other because his, his goal and his intent for you is to destroy you, to devour you, to cause you to be out of relationship with God, to cause you to be distracted for what God has intended for you and that he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. He wants to lead you away into another life without Christ. That's what his goal is. And to be honest with you, we are redefining things in in Scripture and knowledge and who God is and all of that. And the reality is we never stop to take time to listen to who he said he is. He's made it clear. I always love people who always say, well, Lingo believes, and they've never talked to me. Just like, really? How intelligent is that? Uh, I'm sorry, I'll get off on a pet peeve there for a second. But we do that to God, right? We, oh, God's this and God's that. And, and I read his word and I go, man, that's contrary to what his word says. We've got to come back to the reality that God has blessed us. And Paul is calling us to arms because we are in a spiritual battle. And if we're not going to put on the armor of God, we will not stand in the evil day. And we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. As it relates to discouragement, we get so discouraged in the middle of the, in the, middle of the battle when everything's coming apart. When, when everything's crashing in and the uncertainty of this world, discouragement comes in and doubt. Does God mean good? Is God doing what he said he would do? And we begin to create doubt. We begin to create fear. And it distracts us. And our adversary is methodically working to deceive us, to destroy us. And we have to be aware of that. And Paul's calling us to arms. He's calling us to a readiness within the spiritual battle. And so today we're going to begin looking at that armor that we're putting on. And I'm going to tell you up front, I'm not spending a lot of time really talking about what the breast, the belt is, where the shield, and those different, those different things. Because I really believe the intent of that is to make us aware of the urgency of the battle that we're in. If I were to bring somebody in here, full guard, military guard, it would change the environment immediately. Because you go, whoa, this guy's serious. You start seeing all of his weapons and his, and his things that he carries in order to be able to be in battle. battle. And that's what Paul's doing. He's, he's describing a Roman soldier so that we understand that we're in a battle, dear people of God. A spiritual battle. And at stake is our very spiritual well-being. Our relationship with God. It's not, it's not the things that we possess and the things that we try to hold on to that is the spiritual battles over. It's the, it's the reality of who we are. Are we in Christ? Are we following God? Or have we rejected Him and began to follow our own ways? And it began as back as early as the garden. We've seen that in past messages I've given of late. It's a picture whereby we need to be putting on the armor of God and we need to understand what that is. So in verses 14 and 15 is probably all we're gonna, further we're gonna get today. I really wanna focus in rather than just the, the items of the, of, the, of the armor, I want us to focus in on the things that Paul wants us to grasp. So look at it in verse 14, it says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And I'm just going to stop there. We're probably not even going to get all the way through all of that. But the reality is there are four really participles in the Greek that is telling us how that we're to be able to stand, or the means by which we're to stand. And if you look in verse 14, when he says, stand therefore, having fastened, there's the first one, there's something that we're, that we're doing, we're fasting, we need to add this to uh, appropriate it into our lives. And then the second one is having put on, and he's talking about the breastplate of righteousness. The third one is having put on, and it's referring to the shoes where the gospel of peace and then the fourth one is to take up the shield of faith. So there's these pictures that, that, the, that Paul is trying to draw us in. And he says, very first thing in verse 14 is he says, stand therefore. It's the idea to take your stand or to withstand. It's an imperative. It denotes urgency in the midst of the battle. In fact, if you were to look at it, the picture is, is in verse 13, he's describing the battle when he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand within the, in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. There he's talking about the battle in the midst of the battle. In verse 14, when he says, stand therefore, in light of the fact that the battle is, is real, the battle is coming, now he's telling us to stand in anticipation that the battle is going to come. Do you understand, dear people of God, the battle's gonna come. Whether you believe it or don't believe it, it's gonna come. There is, a, there is an intent on our adversary's part to destroy you. And it is imperative that we understand the urgency of the call, that we become immovable and steadfast in the face of a ruthless foe. I've, I've, I've been involved in raising five children, and many of you know, know all the kids, so I won't tell too many stories, but... I can remember when, when they were little, sometimes they would just, you know, they're not moving. You know, and, and being dad, you walk over and you pick them up and you carry them to where you want them to go, right? Where you bring them along. But there was this immovable force whereby they, they stand and they're like going no further. And the same picture, we're to stand. But you know what? Our adversary can't pick us up and move us because we're in Christ. And we need to begin to understand who we are in Jesus that we might withstand in that day that when the, when the, when the battle comes and, and the urgency of the moment, we're not falling and we're running around grasping, wondering where God is, wondering why is these things happening, that we find ourselves established and standing firm in the truth of who Christ is. It's a beautiful picture, but it's also a picture whereby it denotes that we're to be about doing something, that we're to be appropriating these things into our lives. That's why Paul uses those terms of of having put on, of fastening, those ideas that we're adding to those in our lives. The first one he talks about is having, in verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth. The idea there is to be true, both in doctrine and in profession. Interesting. It's not only truth in what it means and what is true, but also in how we profess, how it's carried out in our lives. Some of the things we're going to talk about, dear people of God, Jesus has saved us and he has delivered us. And Jesus is the power in which we gain victory. But dear people of God, if we have a view that while we do is we receive Jesus, now have everything, and we never act in faith, we have deceived ourselves. No wonder we're falling to the side in unbelief if we're not exercising our faith. It's faith that pulls those together. We cannot, we cannot, and we cannot just accept things and think, oh, well, God's going to save us. Everything's okay. God is going to save us, and everything's okay. But if you believe that, you're going to act upon it. It has to be a part of the truth of our life, is as Christians, as we've accepted Jesus, so now we are indwelt by the risen Lord, who is himself, truth. Think about that. He is truth. In fact, I think one of the beautiful things of the book of Ephesians, when Paul lays out this armor, he's talking about things he's already talked about in the letter, That he's already communicated to each one of them. He's talked about those things. In fact, if you go back to chapter 1 and verse 13 of of Ephesians, you're gonna be turning a little bit in the book of Ephesians, but I'll just have you turn within the book. But in chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul writing to these believers. He says in him, referring to Jesus, in him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. That is a great verse. Write it down. Stick it on your ear. That in him when you heard the word of what? Of truth. I love sharing the story of my salvation. I was a young boy. I was getting into all kinds of trouble. And my parents didn't know what to do about it. My dad, I remember he was looking up uh, boys' homes and things like that to send me to, trying to straighten me out. My parents weren't going to church. They really didn't care about the things of God at the time. And I remember they thought, well, we better get this boy in church. Praise God by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. That day I remember sitting there and I'm hearing the pastor preach and he preached on John fourteen six. 6. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father but by me. I remember I was so pierced in my heart by the Holy Spirit of God that, that it, just, it just enlightened me. I remember sitting there going, everybody I knew in my world lied to me. I've caught my parents lying to me. I caught. I mean, even caught my grandma lying to me. I mean, you know, everybody just lied to me. My friends lied to me. I wanted truth. I'm kind of one of those people, what you see is what you get. I'll, I'll, I just kind of say things, so I wanted truth. And I remember, man, I want to know truth. I remember walking the aisle. It was a Southern Baptist church, and they gave an invitation at the end, and I went, I went forward. I'm one of those that walked an aisle and got saved. I remember the guy pulled me off to the side, and he shared with me, the gospel and what Jesus had done. And I learned that Jesus is truly the way. And a week later I was baptized. And as I came out of the water and I heard these words raised to walk and newness of life. And I realized he's, he's the life. And my life was never the same. It was never the same after that. Why? Because Jesus is truth. When I heard those words, he says, When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. That there's this idea that when we receive Christ into our life, Jesus is truth, and he dwells in us. Truth dwells in us. Chapter 4, just turn over a couple pages. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, in verse starting in verse 20. In chapter 4, and verse 20, he says, but that, that is not the way you learn. He's talking about the darkness and the way people live. You didn't learn Jesus that way. That's why today, you'll hear me say this sometimes, and I know it, it can be offensive, and I'm sorry, but I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit convicts and deals with it, right? For people who say, who say, who live a life whereby the things that they're living in are not of God, but then they turn around and say, God and I are good. It's not possible. It's not true. Don't let Satan deceive you. And Paul's addressing that here in chapter five or chapter four when he's talking about these things and he says, and he picks up in verse 20, he says, but that is not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You see that? to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I'm going to stop there because I'm going to look at that other verse here in a second. So Paul is saying, hey, you didn't learn Christ in this way because if you learn from Christ, truth is in Christ. Now he's talking about very factual that Jesus is truth. And the reality of who Jesus is in our lives. The more that I understand truth about Jesus, I learn about the fullness of truth as it relates to God, to humanity, to life, to purpose, to relationships, to heaven, to hell, to judgment. All the things that pertain to truth. You're not going to learn those by the popular views of culture We've got to understand that dear people of God. God has spoken and he's made himself known. 1 John chapter 5 verse 20. It says this, and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him, who is what? Who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. You want to know truth? It's Jesus. There isn't truth outside of him. And I know I'll have some people out there that might challenge that, but I'm telling you, that is true. It's true. Jesus is truth. And when I received Christ into my life, having heard truth, the gospel of my salvation, and believed, I received Christ into my life, and truth is in my life. And it's important to understand that. And we begin to practice that truth. That's why in verse 15 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul is instructing them, and he, and here again he's telling them, <clears throat> rather speaking truth and love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And there in the before he was talking about being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But he says, way that we grow and so we're not deceived by these deceitful schemes uh, schemes, is we speak truth in love. And as a result of speaking truth, we grow up in Christ. There's some of you in this room who I have spent time over the years where we have spoke truth in love. One of those guys is Greg Buckles, 20 years plus. And there's been a lot of rough things we have said to each other over 20 years that causes growth. But it's not just what I speak to others. We like to quote that. Well, I just spoke the truth in love. I've done that. I mean you've done that. I spoke the truth. They're choking it down, but you know, I spoke the truth in love. I did my biblical duty. The reality is we speak truth in in our own lives that we would grow into truth, that we would grow up into Christ. We begin to practice it. That's what Paul's talking about when he says in verse 25 of chapter 4, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. So when we begin to speak truth, it's because truth is in us because we've received Christ into our life. John chapter 8, the gospel of John. I love the the gospel. I love John chapter 8. Because it's such a fun way of watching the argumentation there where Jesus is having with the Pharisees who are saying, We know who our father is. And Jesus is reminding them who their father is in verse 44 of chapter 8 of John. He says this to them You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when Satan speaks, he can only speak lies because that's his character. So when we receive Christ into our lives, we now have truth. We need to speak truth in our lives because that's who we are. We become people who are characterized by truth because we have Jesus in us. Do you understand that? You understand the importance and the value of that? Are you gonna overcome in the spiritual battle? You better know truth, how do you know truth? You better know this. This better be a part of your life. That you might know truth and begin to speak it in your life. How do I know when when the devil is lying to me? Because I know truth. Lydia and I were, early in our marriage, we were traveling one time and we we didn't have very much money. We'd stopped to get gas and stuff, and we went into this little convenience store, and she went to the restroom, and I was paying for the gas, and, and the guy was an attendant. He was a pretty good salesman. I get a kick out of good salesmen because I love to watch their techniques, and I like to have that conversation. I get a kick out of it, and this guy was really pretty good, and I was, real, I was really, you know, like now I would probably have bought it just because he was a good salesman, but I didn't have money then, and he, he was working me really well. And, so I looked at him and I said, you know what? I said, here, I'll make you a deal. My wife is in the restroom. When she comes out, if you can sell her one, when I come out, I'll buy another one. I didn't, Folks, I didn't have the money to buy a second one. But I knew when Lydia came out, he said something to her and, and, then, and then he tried to sell her. And then I came out and I go, how'd you do? And he goes, man, she didn't even give me the time of day. She just said, no, I'm not interested and walked on out. I said, yeah, that's my wife. I knew she's not gonna spend that money on that kind of stuff, right? I was confident, because I knew my wife when we know truth we're able to speak it into our lives remember the first week when we started this series and i shared with you how even just a few months ago where every time i prayed over something was like worst case scenario kept happening it kept happening and i got to a place where i was even wondering if i should just i didn't want to pray because why should i pray i mean everything kept every time i kept praying Different things were going on. I just didn't feel like, like praying. And, but then, what does God's word say, right? Be, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, may guard your hearts and your minds, right? What is truth? And when you begin to speak truth in your life, why? Because it is true. You know it to be true because you know the word. That is the idea of putting on the armor of God, of putting on truth in your life. As you begin to walk by faith and you begin to appropriate the reality of truth in your life, then you're able to overcome when the day of evil comes. Now, let me, let me say something here. I don't even think I said this first hour, so you're getting, you're getting bonus material, right? If you're not practicing truth now when the day of evil comes, you won't know how to practice truth. That's why it's so important. That's why Paul is saying, in anticipation of the battle, the urgency of putting these things on now that you begin to appropriate them in your life, that you might stand in the day of evil. You see that? He goes on and he says, and Like I said, we're not going to probably get very far today, but having put on the breastplate of righteousness in verse 14, this is something you need to understand. This is a sanctifying righteousness of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer who's yielded to God and been justified by Jesus. In other words, it's not specifically speaking just of we've been justified, declared righteous but it's talking about that sanctifying righteousness that takes place in our lives because we've been redeemed, we've been set apart and God has declared us righteous. Now we conduct ourselves and appropriate that righteousness in our lives. Do you see that? That's what he's talking about here. I think he says it clearly in chapter four in verse 24. That's that verse that I did. Into We were talking about truth and he says you were taught in truth and truth is in Jesus and therefore put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Verse 24 he says and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Did you hear what he just said? He said you put off the old self and you put on the new self which is what? Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That is who you are now in Christ Jesus. Have you received Christ into your life? You've received the righteousness. There's been this great exchange that has taken place whereby now he has placed his righteousness. I'm dressed in the righteousness of Christ because of what he has done. Now I begin to appropriate that righteousness in my life. Do you see that? And that's why, that's why I say we, can, we cannot keep going in the direction opposed to God and somehow think we're okay with God. We've got to quit thinking that way, dear people of God. We have to start understanding that we have been created. It's all Jesus. I understand that. But if you're not exercising faith in the truth of God's word, in the truth of what Christ has done for you, how are you going to be able to stand You won't. I'm telling you right now, you won't. You will fall. There are plenty of examples in our world today of people who've walked away from the faith, who have fallen because they don't appropriate truth in their life. It is important that we understand that and we appropriate truth and we appropriate the righteousness of Christ in our lives because that's who we are in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter three, Christ who is my life, He is my life, and he's truth, and he's righteous. Therefore, I must appropriate that in my life so it's through this sanctifying, righteous living in which I blast off the fiery dogs of of my adversary. When I was in the restaurant business, I was a much younger man in those days. Uh, I was thinner and, you know, good-looking, all that kind of stuff, right? Sorry, honey. There were times that the battle was fierce because in that environment, a lot of people cheated on their, on, their, on their spouses. Being promiscuous was the standard. It wasn't the abnormal way of living. I remember one day I walked out of, the, out of the cooler and one of the ladies made a little comment about me and another female in the restaurant. And right there in the, In the middle of the restaurant, and I just lined that out. I love my wife. I'm committed to my wife. I I could tell you a lot of things I said, um, but it was very clear what I I believed. And I went to the front. I was kind of ticked off that even anything would be suggested. I remember the lady that said it came around to the front, kind of leaned up to me and said, Greg, we all know you're squeaky clean. And then I was like, squeaky clean, what does that mean? And then I realized it was a good thing. They knew what I believed because I was appropriating the righteousness of Christ in my life. It was diminishing the fiery darts of my adversary and I wasn't being drawn into that world because I was appropriating righteousness in my life. Why? Because Christ was in me. He's my life. Do you see that? That's why it's so important, our sanctifying righteousness, that we begin to walk in righteousness. If we're going to overcome in the spiritual battle, we need to appropriate the righteousness of Christ in our life, dear people of God. We cannot ignore that. We cannot continue to live in opposition to what God is doing in our lives and then somehow think we're okay with God. We have to address that. And if you are, then it's fine. Let the spirit of God convict you and, and respond to his righteousness and with conviction and repent and move to him. You hear that? The quietness of the room tells me that we all struggle with that. But listen to Philippians 3, 9. It says, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law." But that which comes through faith in Christ, in all circumstances, you put on the shield of faith. But through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's why we need to continue to appropriate righteousness and truth. And the very last one there, he says, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The word readiness there means preparation. In the classical Greek, it had the idea of kind of establishing a firm foundation. It was a readiness of mind from the gospel of peace in which it allowed us to be firm and to stand on a firm, firm ground. It referred to the stir- stability and the sure-footedness, sure-footedness of the gospel that allows us to withstand in the midst of the battle. The word peace in the Greek, in the Greek literally means that which is bound together. And Paul, giving an example of that, does that in chapter two. If you will, just look at it there real quick. Chapter two and verse I want to begin in verse 12. He says, "Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise. Paul is talking about Jews and Gentiles, and there was a division of them. The, gen- the Jews did not value the Gentiles nor necessarily believe they should be welcomed into the gospel. There was a division that was going on. Even in the Old Testament, there was the court of the Gentiles. They weren't allowed into the inner parts of the temple or the tabernacle. And so there was this picture that was going on. And he says, he says, uh, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Verse 13, but now, aren't you glad for the word but sometimes? But in contrast, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. What's he talking about? Who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by the abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace that, he, that he's bringing together, he's bringing them bonding together. And here in the case, the picture that he's drawn together is Jew and Gentile, but in their relationship with God. He continues on and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Do you understand why? Our unity is so important, dear people of God. Do you understand that? Because it reflects what God has done in the gospel of peace. But he goes on and he says in verse 17, and he, talking about Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off, the Gentiles, but he also preached to those who were near, the Jews. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members. Listen to this of the household of God. We are members of the household of God. The gospel of peace, the sure-footedness, the, the peace that we have with God, the peace that we have within the body of Christ, we stand in that sure I know that regardless of what goes on in this world, my relationship with God has not changed because of his peace. I've been bound with him through his son, Jesus Christ. I stand in that. I stand in that by faith. We are to live like Members of the household of God. Appropriating into our lives truth. Appropriating into our lives righteousness. Appropriating in our lives the peace that we have with God. How can we not take that message to others? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Therefore. Stand. Stand in the truth, Jesus is the truth. Stand in the righteousness of Christ by faith. Stand in the peace of the gospel which has brought us together with God through Jesus Christ. Stand and you do this, wow, by faith, by faith in all circumstances. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, Lord, I just just pray that you'd speak to us Father, I know there's some here this morning that's probably in a place with their faith, Lord, that our adversary has probably been deceiving them, distracting them. Father, maybe they begin to look at the things of the world and think that the blessedness and the happiness that comes, comes there, it seems like it is for a short time. But eternal peace with you, Father, eternal standing with you, the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus in eternity. How can that be measured? Lord, speak to your people. Teach us, God, of the things. What are those things that we've been been setting aside? Maybe, Father, we've been ignoring truth. Maybe we've been ignoring your righteousness in our lives. Maybe we've been not realizing or understanding the power and the the sure-footedness of the gospel of peace. Father, strengthen those in us. Strengthen our faith that the evil day doesn't catch us unaware, that, Father, we would understand the urgency of the battle before us and that we would stand. We would stand in all that Christ has done for us. Father, speak to us and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.